All right, thank you, Cole. That was beautiful. So good, so good. Um, so if you didn't figure, we're in a series called God With Us. Um, we've been talking about this uh, incredible reality uh, that is central to the, um, the story of Christmas. It's really central to our very understanding and our knowledge of the God that we love and serve. And um, as we've been journeying through the series, um, we've been rooting it in a, uh, a passage of Scripture that is familiar to many of you, uh, perhaps uh, maybe not to some. Um, but it's from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, And Matthew, the gospel writer, he's actually um, quoting an Old Testament prophet, the prophet Isaiah, and he's connecting this verse to the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what Matthew says, um, uh, quoting the words of the prophet. He says, look, the virgin will be conceived a child. Sorry, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And help me, what does it say? Which means what? God with us, right? And he is speaking, uh, Matthew is speaking of the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we've been kind of approaching the, you know, Christmas day um, and and kind of preparing our hearts in this Christmas season, we've been talking about this reality, how God encounters us in the various seasons of our lives. And last week, if you were here, Um, We said that we can really enjoy God on the mountaintops. Uh, Most of us kind of experience um, God and maybe sense his favor and presence with us when things are going really well in our lives. Um, But it's a lot more difficult to experience God in the valley. Um, But we we noticed maybe if you were here and if you weren't here and you missed the message, I would encourage you to uh, listen to it. Uh, But we said we can actually know God and we can know God intimately in the valleys and those valleys and the dark places and the difficult times of our lives is when we can really begin to experience and know God in a far more intimate and deeper way. And uh, so this week, as we kind of continue along this theme, we get to look at another metaphor of Scripture uh, and another kind of uh, metaphor that describes seasons of life, and that is the, the metaphor of wilderness. Someone say wilderness. Wilderness. Um, now, a wilderness is different from the a valley in that wilderness p- seasons or periods of life generally last much longer than the than the valleys do. And so, in, in the Hebrew, the the word um, wilderness is the Hebrew word midbar, and it, it refers to a, a barren, desolate place, often a desert or a very dry place. So, a desolate place, a lonely place, a solitary place. Um, if you are familiar with the book of Exodus, uh, you'll know the story of Israel. Um, there's a period of time where Israel uh, was enslaved to the Egyptians and for a period of some 400 odd years. And then God moved. He heard the cry of his people and he moved on their behalf and he delivered them out of slavery. And, uh, and it was a miraculous deliverance. Uh, if you remember the story, there were incredible uh, miracles of these plagues that eventually uh, um, forced Pharaoh's hand to release the people. And, uh, and then the parting of the Red Sea. So just a very dramatic moment in the time and history of of Israel. And then um, God kind of leads them into this prolonged period, this season of wandering in the wilderness. Um, They were wandering in a barren place. And um, and I I just imagine there's probably some of you right now who probably could relate to that. Um, I think we've all probably experienced um, seasons of life where it feels kind of like we are in a wilderness, right? We're wandering in a barren place, right? Wandering in a desolate place. And for some of you, it might be kind of a work-related wilderness. I was the season of my life where I was, uh, I was in a job that I just knew was just sucking the life out of my soul. Anyone kind of can relate to that? It's just kind of like you're, just, you're plugging along day after day after day, and you know it's just not good for your heart. Um, but, you know, like you, you feel stuck because you need 
need the money, you're supporting your family, um, you know, it's a get out of it, you don't feel like you're really qualified to do anything else, and if you would, you would have to go back to school, and that, uh, that is just a terrifying prospect, especially when you're older, and you just like, you know, and you feel stuck, right? And so you're kind of in this like work-related wilderness. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you uh, could relate to being in a, in a relational wilderness. Um, you know, uh, maybe there is, um, maybe you're dating someone, right? Uh, you're dating, and you've been dating this guy for, you know, three, four, five, six years, and you're like ready. You're ready to get married, and he's just like, all he wants to do is play video games, right? And he's been just like stringing you along, right? Um, and you've prayed about it, you've talked to him about it, and he just kind of keeps kicking the can down the road. He just won't commit, man. Uh, and he's like, babe, you know, I love you, I care about you, but it's just not the right time yet. And, and he just kind of won't pull the trigger on it. And you're just wondering, like, you know, I, you know, should I stay with this guy? Is there any future in my relationship with them? Or should I just, you know, you know get out of it? And, and it's, it's scary because you really care about him and, and you just feel like you're in this wilderness and, uh, and, and you're kind of stuck, right? Anyone kind of relate to something? Like maybe worse yet, right? It's a marriage wilderness, right? And I, I mean, I'm in pastoral ministry, so I hear stories like, um, you know, maybe you're in this relationship and married for years, um, and now the kids are out, and you find that you've just grown apart from one another, right? And, and you just feel lonely and lost, and you never communicate with one another. That was okay when the kids were at home, but now that the kids are gone, it's just like you just feel isolated and, and lonely, and, and you just feel stuck. You don't want to divorce him, or you don't want to divorce her, uh, but, but it just, it, it's just a wilderness. It's, it's dry, right? Right? Maybe you relate to something um, like that. Um, and I think there are, all time, there are seasons in our lives you know, where, where we can be in wilderness. And for some of you, it might be a financial wilderness, right? You, you, you're, you're working hard. You're doing all the right things. You, you know, you're trying to get ahead. Um, but it's just it's hard, right? And, and it just seems like the bills keep mounting up. And, and then something happens and kind of like you have to put it on a credit card. And before you know it, you're like you're just spiraling down and it's just going down and down and down. And it just doesn't seem like anything kind of will break free. And you just feel stuck right? You're in a financial wilderness. Um, and, and I think we all experience areas of wilderness where it senses like things might be going well in other areas of our lives, but there are areas, a particular area that it just feels dry and desolate and hard and difficult. Um, and, and, and here's what I've noticed, and this is interesting from scripture at least. Um, oftentimes, um, these wilderness seasons um, are, are preceded by kind of mountaintop experiences, I mean, that was true in the, in the nation of Israel, right? They had this mountaintop experience. God shows up in a miraculous way, delivers them, uh, releases them out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea, and then he leads them into a wilderness, this dry, desolate place. And they wandered there for like 40 years. It's like prolonged. It's not just overnight. Um, in fact, if, if, you, uh, if you know the story of the Gospels, uh, Jesus has a very similar experience uh, to that as well. In Luke's Gospel, we're told in chapter 4 that uh, Luke, Jesus, as he begins his ministry, um, he meets John the Baptist at the Jordan River, and John baptizes him. And Jesus has this mountaintop experience, right? Uh, as, as he is baptized in the Jordan River, uh, the, the heavens literally split apart, right? And, and, the heaven, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a Dove. And then a voice from heaven, the heavenly father, his heavenly father cries out and he says to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, I, I love this moment in Jesus' life because uh, this is kind of like I think what every, every son or daughter longs for, right? I mean, Jesus hasn't done a single thing yet in ministry. He hasn't performed one miracle, hasn't preached a single sermon. Just because of who he is, you are my son and I delight in you. 
And it's like the heavenly father is just saying to Jesus, I am so proud of you. Not because of what you've done, simply because of who you are. And I think that's the longing of every human heart, right? And I just imagine for Jesus, this is a mountaintop experience, right? You know, he, he's just, just kind of been lavished on by, by the pride and the love and the delight of his heavenly father. And then we're told just like right after this, right, that Jesus is led by the Spirit, Luke says, led by the Spirit um, as he returns from the, as led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he is tempted by the devil, right? Uh, that Greek word uh, wilderness, we've talked about this in, in previous series, it's the Greek word eromos. Again, it, it refers to a barren place, a solitary place, a lonely place. Um, we know for Jesus, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a place of, of, of weakness, but actually was a place of strength, of strengthening. And so, but here, uh, Jesus is led into a lonely place. And so these mountaintop experiences can oftentimes be followed uh, by wilderness experiences. And some of you might have experienced something like this, right? Um, things are going great, and then suddenly something happens, right? Like your marriage is going well, and then something is revealed, like your spouse has cheated on you, and suddenly you're in this wilderness, right? You know, things could be going really well at work or, uh, you know, just been going great at work, and then suddenly, you know, the company is sold out from underneath you or something, and suddenly you're in a financial wilderness, you know, some of you um, over the, the, these past months, what, what's been happening here on our island with the wildflowers, I mean, things were going great. You had businesses, homes, things were going great, and suddenly there's a natural disaster that just wipes everything out, and you are literally in, in a wilderness. Um, and, and so I think for many of us, we can even have these mountaintop experiences that, that are kind of followed almost immediately by these wilderness experiences, and, and then they don't just like go away. You know, unlike the valleys that sometimes you know you're going to get through it, just like sometimes it can go on and on and on. And you're going like, God, where are you? Right? Where are you in this? Right? Where are you in this, this wilderness? Um, and so the question I, my, I hope to answer tonight is this, is how do we experience God's presence in the wilderness? How do we experience the reality of this, this incredible story of Christmas, this reality of God taking on human flesh and dwelling amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ? And then as he ascends into heaven, he pours out his spirit uh, and he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. The reality of a God who is with us. But how do we experience that when things are just like over periods, long periods of time, it just feels dry and desolate and barren. And so here's the big idea. This is what, what I want you to kind of hold on to uh, for this, uh, this weekend's message. Uh, your deepest needs become a gift when they drive you to depend on God, Right? Your deepest needs, and this is, we're going to see this illustrated in a beautiful story from the Old Testament. Your deepest needs uh, become a gift. Someone say a gift, right? It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. But your deepest need can become a gift when, they, when, they, when it drives you to depend on God. And so, uh, again, I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. If you've got a copy of the Scriptures, you can open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. Like this is Old Old Testament. Um, it's a great story. Um, here's the context of the story. Uh, Elijah the prophet, uh, he's a man of God, right? He is, a, he is like a powerhouse. I mean, this is a guy who kind of has experienced the presence and the power and the provision of God. I mean, he is the man of God. Um, incredibly bold in his witness, incredibly courageous in the face of unrighteousness in his country. And he stands up there and he's a mouthpiece for the Lord. I mean, an incredible man of God. I mean, he is like, like someone you'd want to attain to. I mean, if you were going to be a prophet 
Elijah's the guy. Like, he's the guy you want to kind of emulate in your life. I mean, and so he is just doing his thing, man. He is confronting evil kings, uh, confronting them on the other, particularly uh, this king Ahab, who was a wicked king. Um, the scripture says, like, maybe there was no other king more wicked than Elijah. And he had a wife. Who remembers the name of, Elijah, uh, of Ahab's wife? Jezebel, right? I mean, that's just like the name just is like, that's just evil, right? We've, we've associated with just this evil, wicked person. Um, and, and they were bad. I mean, they, they were like, together, they, they, they just kind of uh, just messed things up for Israel, just really perverted the worship of God. They brought in all these false idols. And Elijah was the guy who is, has brave enough and bold enough, called by God, empowered by God, a man of, uh, filled with the Spirit of God. And he just boldly declares God's right righteousness and judgment uh, against the wickedness of the kingdom. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we know the story, right, of Elijah. He confronts the, um, the, the, the prophets of Baal who, who Jezebel and, and Ahab had been worshiping. And they're like all these prophets of Baal, and they basically have a showdown on Mount Carmel. So they're literally on a mountaintop. And, and Elijah literally calls down fire. I mean, like if there's ever a mountaintop experience, you're on a mountain and you pray to God to burn up a sacrifice and God just like consumes it, fire from heaven. I mean, like that's an experience, right? That's a mountaintop experience if ever there was one. Um, and, and, and then, you know, like, um, you know, uh, he then defeats like the, the 850 odd um, prophets of Baal. I mean, he literally like just takes them out, right? He cleanses the land of all these false prophets. Um, and then, you know, Ahab's not happy about all of this, and he goes to his wife Jezebel and says, hey, Jezebel, this man, Elijah, you know, like he just, just wiped out our prophets. And Jezebel is furious, right? She's just really upset. And so uh, she threatens uh, Elijah to take his life, and this is the way she says it um, um, in, in 1 Kings chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. It says, so may the gods do to me, what, and more so, if I do not take your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Basically, she says, Elijah, um, you're done, right? I'm going to take you out, um, and this is, you know, the man of God, right? He's just like destroyed 850 of the prophets of Baal, just called down fire from heaven. Incredible mountaintop of moment. So what do you think? He's like, bring it on, right? What do you got? You know, God is with me. I'm amazing. Not because I'm amazing, because of who's in me. Like, you know, bring it on. What can you do to me? But that's not Elijah's response, right? Um, Elijah is actually terrified. I don't know what that says about Jezebel. I don't know. You know, maybe what, what does it say about the wrath of a woman, right? I don't know. Maybe uh, some of you guys know exactly what Elijah felt like. I don't know. Uh, uh, my wife's awesome. She would never do anything like that. But I can imagine some, some, some woman could. Uh, they, they, would, they would scare out the fear of God out of you, right? And so apparently this is what Jezebel does uh, with Elijah, um, and it's, we're told in verse 3, um, he was afraid, and he rose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judah, and he's left his servant there. So, like, let's just pause a minute there, because we can read that, and you don't realize just, like, how far the guy actually ran. Uh, where he was on Mount Carmel to Bathsheba was, like, 100 miles. Like, I mean, this guy ran 100 miles. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, he was just like, I'm out of here. Like, he was just like, I'm gone. And I'm going to put as much distance as I can between myself and this woman because she's crazy, right? I can deal with the prophets of Baal. I can deal with all that stuff, fire from heaven. But Jezebel, I'm not dealing with her. I'm done. I'm out, right? And so he, he runs 100 miles. And he gets to Bathsheba, and he leads his servant there. And then the Bible says, 
But he himself went a day's journey into where? Into the wilderness, right? Into the Mabar. And he came and he sat down under a broom tree. So Elijah, just on a mountaintop, having had this incredible experience um, with God, seeing the very power of God demonstrated, fire from heaven, um, just incredible demonstration of God's power, his supremacy. But now, where's he now? Now he's in the wilderness, right? Um, And and he's alone, and he's afraid, um, and he's hurting, and he's desperate. Um, and he sits down under a tree and he prays. And here's what he prays. He says, he asked, that, um, he asked that he might die, saying, It is not enough, Lord, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father. It is enough. Take away my life. How many of you ever felt that way, right? You just got to a point in your life where you're just like, I'm done. Enough already. Like, uncle, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm just, I have nothing left. I'm absolutely depleted. It is enough. Take away my life. I just can't take it anymore. You know, and it's not like Elijah didn't give his best effort, right? I mean, this is Elijah, the man of God, right? I mean, he had been fighting the good fight. I mean, he had been battling. I mean, he had been courageous. He had been bold. I mean, he had, like, he had taken it to, uh, you know, the streets. He, he was not like a, you know, like a, you know, just a Christmas Easter Christian, right? Like, he was a guy who was out there every day just fighting the good fight battling, standing up for righteousness, taking some hits. Now, right, he's terrified. He's depleted. He's done. He's like, I've got nothing left. Take my life. And and I suspect maybe there's like some of you probably can relate to that, right? There have been seasons of your life where you're just like, man, I just got nothing left. I mean, I've been trying. I've been doing it. It's not like I've been sitting around. I mean, I'm, I'm working hard at this, right? I'm trying to be the good person. I'm trying to be the Christian. I'm trying to like follow Jesus as much as I can, right? But my marriage has gone south, and now I'm in a wilderness, man. I've just done. I'm done. I've got nothing left. I've been tithing. I've been giving. I've been doing all the right things, and my business has turned upside down, and now I've got nothing. I'm in a financial wilderness, and I'm done. I've got nothing left. Um, you know, sometimes life can get a lot, right? It just sometimes it can get just like too much. You know, there's a saying that says, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's nowhere in the Bible. It doesn't, doesn't exist in the Bible. I don't know who came up with that. I think someone who just, you know, if someone was hurting and they had to say something, they go like, you know, God won't give you. It's like, no. Sometimes God allows us to endure a lot, like a lot. Like to the point where we're like, we've got nothing left, right? We're done. Um, and Elijah's at this point right now. You know, and I, I would just, you know, as I was reading this story, I'm going like, man, if it can happen to a man like Elijah, like this man of God, this powerhouse, man, it could happen to me. It could happen to you, right? Because, like I said, Elijah was, you know, like he was, he had experienced the presence of God. It wasn't like he didn't know what the parents, he didn't understand this Emmanuel thing. I mean, he was living it. I mean, he had seen the power of God demonstrated viscerally, you know, amazingly in his life. <coughs> he had stood up against King Ahab. You know, he was a man of faith. You know, he had experienced God in incredible ways. You know, there's a season where, where he's like fed by God with, by ravens. Like, I mean, that's cool. I mean, like, you got birds like of prey bringing you food. And God's like, here you go. Like, prime rib, it's all yours, bro. He had experienced all kinds of things of, of God's power, the presence, the provision, and the power of God. 
Um, you know, in Mount Carmel, he had defeated 850 of, of false, these false prophets, physically destroyed them, seen fire from heaven. You know, he, he was a man of incredible faith. I mean, he, he had, had seen the, the wickedness of Ahab, and, and as God's judgment, he had called for a drought on the land. And you know what God did? He answered the prayer. For three years, no rain. And Ahab was mad. I mean, it was like he had the king coming after him, trying to kill him. And he just stood his ground. I mean, this was a man of God. This was a man of incredible courage and boldness and faith. And then it kind of, as he sees God's kind of mercy come through, he sees the cloud, right? It's just like a hand, but he's a man of faith. He's like, ah, oh, the cloud is going to become rain. And he calls it forth prophetically. And rain comes and saturates the earth. And once again, God's mercy restores the land. I mean, this was an incredible man of God. And if it could happen to Elijah, it can happen to us, right? Um, you know, there was, I, was, I was listening to uh, a, a podcast a while back, and it was a group of uh, pastors who had, um, who had just kind of come to the end of their rope. <laughs> they were sitting in a, in a discussion group, like a forum, and uh, it was uh, led by um, a really well-known Christian psychologist, Dr. Henry Cloud. And, uh, and the common kind of theme, like they were all just saying, like, we're just tired. Like, we're done. I mean, we've been hand to the plow for years, and it's, you know, it's just, we're done. We're tired. We're worn out. And, and Henry Clyde said something that's so profound. Um, he said this. He says, you're not just tired. You're spiritually depleted. You know, he basically says, if you were tired, all you would need is a nap, and that would fix it. But, but he says that. He says, you don't need a, a physical rest as much as you need of spiritual replenishment. Someone say spiritual replenishment. Uh, and some of you here today probably need to hear that, right? I mean, we've had a tough year at Yarra Maui. I mean, we've had a tough four years. I mean, with COVID and all the stuff that's gone on. And if you're a business person, man, you've been like holding on. Some of you, it feels like it's been in a wilderness, right? And then the wildfires come and it's like, if it's not bad enough, it's just like, will God give you more? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. He'll take you right to the very edge. You know, and, and so maybe kind of, you know, you're not just tired. You don't just need a physical rest. Uh, although we'll see that's really important in a minute here. Um, but you're spiritually depleted. And, and you need spiritual replenishment. Um, you need an encounter with the very presence of God. That's what you really need. Um, what you need is an intimate moment with the life-giving author of life to refresh you, to restore you, to bring life back into your dry bones. You know, King David kind of, he understood this. I mean, we've looked at Psalm 23 a little bit last week. Um, I'll look at it again this week. Um, but King David wrote Psalm 23. It's just a, one of the, my favorite psalms, I think, favorite for many people because it's just so profound and beautiful. He says this, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. David understood there are times when you need spiritual replenishment. Your soul needs kind of refreshing. And it's not something that a rest will give you. A vacation is not going to take care of it, right? You need something greater, you need something deeper. You need to encounter the restorative grace 
of the presence of God. This is exactly what Elijah needed. Elijah wasn't just worn out and tired, right? I don't think Elijah was afraid of Jezebel, honestly. I mean, like, this is a guy. He's like, he's faced down King Ahab. He faced down 850 of the prophets of Baal. I don't think he was actually afraid. I just think he was done. I just think he was done. He had nothing left. He just, he was worn out, depleted. You know, and so, what does God do, right? In those moments, in those seasons where we're in the wilderness, what does God do to meet our need? Well, let's see what he does to meet Elijah's need. Uh, well, the first thing that he doesn't do to Elijah, he doesn't preach Elijah a sermon. You know, he doesn't say, Elijah, just get your stuff together, man. Pull yourself up. Figure it out. You know, he doesn't shame Elijah. He doesn't blame Elijah. He doesn't give him 10 memory verses to just inspire him. Uh, here's what he does, right? We're told in verse 5, he says, He, Elijah, lays down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel of the Lord touched him and it said, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a, at his head a cake baked of hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down. Did you see how, like, how practical God is? Like, how beautiful is that? Elijah, what you need, bro? You need to just eat and rest. That's what you need. Just, just chill. Just relax. Eat something. Rest. And some of you, like, that, that's a really good suggestion for some of you. Right? Some of you, it's really hard to rest. If you're anything like me, like, I, I sometimes am restless. Even when I take time to rest, I can't rest because i got so much going on in my brain and it's just like hard to settle. But sometimes we just need to eat and rest. And so that's what God does. You know, he, he says to Elijah, eat and rest. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to rest in the presence of God, right? But to do that, you have to create some space, right? You know, I don't think it was a coincidence that Elijah ended up in a wilderness, a quiet place, a solitary place. So maybe for you, somebody, that's what you need to do. Find a quiet place, a solitary place, a wilderness, an eremos, and rest, and rest. And then verse 7, look what it says. It says, and then the angel of the Lord came again a second time. Someone say second time. <laughs> I love this, Right? I don't think Elijah got it the first time. I think he ate, he rest, he got up again, he's like, ah, right? How do you feel that sometimes? You go on a vacation, you think you need a rest, and the rest doesn't do it, right? So what does the Lord do? He keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. So he says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, God is so patient with us. Because we don't always get it, right? Sometimes God will lead us to the place he will provide for us, but we still don't get it. And, and we just kind of, sometimes he has to come back again and remind us again. And if you're like me, again and again and again, a first time, a second time, sometimes a third, fourth, and fifth time. Eat, rest. Eat and rest. Um, you know, and I think this is the reality of Emmanuel, right? Because God is with us, right, he continues to pursue us, right? He doesn't encounter us and leave us. He encounters us and stays with us. And he continues to come after us. He pursues us. Um, 
You know, and some of you need to hear that, right? God's coming for you, right? God's coming for you. He loves you way, way too much to leave you where you are. Um, and he'll come back for you again and again and again. And King David again understood this, right? He said, surely your goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. I love that verse, right? I love that, that the mercy of God and the goodness of God will pursue us because he is a God who is with us, right? Who wants to encounter us with his goodness, who wants to pursue us with his mercy, his love, and his kindness. So verse 8 goes on, and he says, And he arose, he ate, he drank, he went in the strength of 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. He's like, I'm just going to dig a hole. I'm going to go in a hole in the ground. That's where I'm feeling, right? So Elijah's eating and resting. He's got some strength. He moves on, and now he's there for 40 days, right? It's a prolonged time. Um, and he's like, I think that cave is like symbolic of what Eli where Elijah was spiritually. He's like, I just want to hide away. I just want to dig a hole and climb into it. Anyone relate to that sometimes? You're just kind of like, I just want to run away from my life, dig a hole and just disappear. Like, this is Elijah, right? This is the man of God, the prophet of God, fire from heaven, right? Now he's in a wilderness, in a cave, hiding, fearful, depleted, done. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, what's going on, bro? What are you doing? Why are you running? Where do you think you can go from me? What are you doing here, Elijah? And when Elijah responds to that question, right, you can tell he just, he's feeling sorry for himself. He's kind of whiny. How do you ever get whiny with God? Anyone ever just like, ah, I'm working so hard, God. Everyone's there. No one's, no one's helping. And I'm just there setting up chairs all by myself. And no one, like, you know, no one's helping with the greeting. And I'm just the only person who's doing this. Anyone ever feel that way? Elijah, this is what he's doing. This is what he says. He says, but the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant, thrown down the altars. They've killed your prophets and the word. And I, even I am only the one left. That's only me. Right? Anyone ever feel that way sometimes? Like, God, you know, like I'm doing this all alone. No one's helping. My family doesn't want to come to church, and I'm the only one who has faith, and everyone else is here. And you just kind of like, and you get into, and it's so easy, right, when we deplete it, to become really self-focused, kind of right? Focused in on that circumstance and what's going on in our lives. It's easy. When that happens, we just kind of become very myopic. We just kind of look at our circumstance and like it's about me and my stuff. And, and, and this is, you know, I think Elijah's need is so overwhelming that he can't even see beyond his own need. And sometimes we get like that, right? The things in front of us are so big that we just can't even see beyond that. And it's just about your circumstance and your situation. Right? And he experiences a sense of isolation. He's alone. No one understands. No one gets it. It's a wilderness, right? You just feel isolated, alone. And then God meets Elijah. I love this, right? In his most desperate moment when he's hiding in a cave, just done. Just like, take my life. It's enough. I'd rather die. I mean, this is desperation, right? And unfortunately, way too many people in our community get to this point, And they never know the God who is with us. And when they come to the end of themselves, that's all there is. 
but God is with us. And what we see with Elijah is that God meets Elijah in the moment of his deepest need. He ministered to to him in his greatest moment of vulnerability. And he brings comfort and healing and restoration. And it reveals this powerful truth, right? That your deepest need is a gift when it drives you to God. The deepest need that you have in your life, it's a gift when it drives you to God. And so God comes to him again and again. And he reaches out to Elijah in this moment of deepest need. Verse 11, it says this. He says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. So God shows up and he says, okay, Elijah, I'm coming. I'm here. Go out, right? Get out of the cave, right? Get out of yourself. and Go out on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And I imagine Elijah thinking, right, this is what I need, right? I need God's presence, right? I'm scared for my life. I'm afraid. I'm depleted. I'm going to meet God in this powerful moment. And we're told in verse 11, and a great and a strong wind shook the mountains and broke the pieces of rock before the Lord. And again, I imagine Elijah thinking, man, God is here, right? Mountains shaking, ah, power of God. But we're told, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Now the wind is coming, it's roaring, it's passing. Now the mountain is shaking and it's trembling. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. It's like, oh, prophet of old, Moses' time, burning bush. God is showing up in the fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low, soft, Gentle whisper. Whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he would and stood at the entrance of the cave. The wind raged. God was not in the wind. The mountain shook. And God was not in the earthquake. The fire flamed, but God was not in the flame, but in the slow, gentle whisper. Like, have you ever, this story is so profound for me. It's like, have you ever wondered, like, okay, God, if you're real, would you just, like, Send down fire. Have you ever prayed that? You're just like, man, I got some friends. They don't believe you're real. Just do something. You know, you just want God to like just show up in power, right? Like you want him just to just show off. Power, splendor. Um, you know, Pastor Craig Rochelle, um, he, he said this. I think it's really cool. He says, the devil shouts to us his lies, but God whispers his truth. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't shout at us? Why God chooses to come to us oftentimes in the slow and gentle whisper? Do you know why? It's because he's close. He's close. He's a God who is with us. He doesn't have to shout at us because he's close. So he comes to us in the whisper. And in the whisper, you hear him beckon him, come closer, come closer, lean in, 
I am with you. I'm with you. I'm always with you. I'm always near. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Come closer. And the whisper causes us to lean in, doesn't it? The whisper causes us to draw near. And this is what God's desire, is that we would be close to him as he is close to us. You know, and oftentimes, I said this last week, it's like when we drink, when we, in these places of valleys or wildernesses in our lives, that's the soil, right, that oftentimes we get to dig a well, a reservoir, a place, a space where God can show up. And it's an act of faith. But David understood that, right? In Psalm 34, he writes, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. In fact, that's the soil in which we create these reservoirs where we can encounter and experience the soft, still voice of our God who is with us, a God who is close. And so David knew this. He understood that. And in Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he makes me lie down in these green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. Some of you need a refreshing from the Lord, and you're not going to get that through a vacation or a rest. You need an encounter with the very presence of the living God to restore your soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know I'm just passing through. This is not my home. Right? It's not my home. Because my God is with me. I will fear no evil. My God is close. He's Emmanuel. He's a God who is with us. And you, my Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows with your presence and your blessing. And surely your goodness and your mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in my house of the Lord forever. You are Emmanuel. You are a God who is with us. Again, in Psalm 138, David writes, I can never escape your presence. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, I, if I dwell on the furthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Your God is with you, right? Not only on the mountaintop, but also in the valley and also in the wilderness, in those seasons of prolonged dryness and barrenness and in those places of stillness and solitude he whispers because he's close he's close your God is with you and the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel God with us amen amen um, so we have some time right now. We have about 15 minutes before the hour. Um, so I just want to take some time. Cole, come on up. Um, maybe you can just kind of strum and create some space. I just want you guys to sit for a little while. It's okay just to sit.
to be still and to know that God is with us. Um, we'll create a little environment where you can do that. And just take some time right now just to dig a well, um, create a, a reservoir of space for the Lord. Those of you who feel like dry and barren, um, allow the Lord to restore your soul. Take a minute right now to create some space and be refreshed and restored and healed in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your presence. Come Holy Spirit, inhabit this place. We make room for you. You carve out a space, a reservoir, a well for you to inhabit. Come bring healing. Come bring restoration. You will. 